I feel like Neptune dissolves all the boundaries around the mind and makes it permeable to the symbolic, to the esoteric, the archetypal, toward the spiritual, the sacred. I think of the dreamer or the channeler where information simply flows in like a stream or one thinks in images. to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. Today's episode is part two of an enchanting conversation I had with astrologer and scholar Becca Tarnas on the planetary combinations of Mercury. And in part two, we discuss Mercury-Uranus, Mercury-Neptune, and Mercury-Pluto, which is where we left off after getting all the way out to Saturn in part one. Catch the episode just before this one for the first part of our conversation. And remember these themes where we're speaking of planets in combination are speaking of both a natal chart planetary combination, so planets and aspect at birth, as well as aspects by transit. Say if you're having a Uranus transit to your Mercury, that would be a Mercury-Uranus theme. And before we continue... There's just three weeks left to enroll in my upcoming Evolutionary Astrology Intensive that runs January 27th, 2020 to May 13. This course is a deep dive into the zodiac, the planets, and techniques specific to evolutionary astrology that allow us to gain a perspective of the soul's ongoing evolution, what we're bringing into this life from prior lives, literally past lives, and what's the soulful purpose of this life? What are we here to learn? So we use the technique of looking at Pluto and the lunar nodes and the planetary ruler of the lunar nodes to find this information, to discern and to interpret this information in natal charts. So whether you are totally new to astrology or you haven't studied it before formally, this course is an initiation for you um, to start to speak and navigate this language. If you're already a student of astrology or even a practicing astrologer, this class is a master class for getting deeper into the soulful and psychological themes of the archetypes, as well as how to work with this very specific kind of chart reading technique that is sourced from the evolutionary school of astrology. This course has been a profound experience for the many students who have come through. People report it being very therapeutic, very helpful along their path um, in terms of discovering more deeply who they are, feeling more rooted in who they are because they have language, this very specific, penetrating, nuanced language to get to the core of their experience and not just to even name it in a way that makes it you know, dead and static, but to name it in a way that opens up new doorways of perception and also new awareness of our gifts and our talents, the things that we may take for granted about ourselves. But once we've reflected on it through the language of astrology, we're more likely to lift it out in our experience and actually really live out these parts of our nature that want to come through us. 
If you go to www.monarchastrology.com and click the tab that says study, you'll find the course page with all the information about this course, as well as a bunch of student testimonials um, from people who have taken this course. And I'll go ahead and read one right now. This one is from Sean, and he wrote, I wholeheartedly recommend Sabrina's intensive, not only for folks with a curious passion for evolutionary astrology, but for those who are ready to cultivate a relationship to the archetypal denizens of their own nature in a safe and supportive learning environment. I began this course with a peripheral understanding of general astrology and had a desire to know more than I knew, and I got way more than I bargained for. Thanks to this lovely experience, I've gained a deepening confidence in my own ability to recognize and interpret subtle celestial influences in my own life and develop balance in them. There's a real perennial approach to cosmic living here, and I'm not overstating how valuable Sabrina's methodology could be in one's own journey toward fuller embodiment, not just exclusively for potential practitioners. This is a great course for storytellers who want to infuse their work with an expansive approach to intuitive mythology, for healers who want to apply a plus-minded modality for spiritual wellness, or for the seeker who is learning to trust their process of divinity and individuation. Sabrina is a masterful teacher and Aquarian age magnet for good people of many paths, and what she's created will certainly elevate the best of your self-knowledge. It's simply been incredible, the community that has built um, from the students within this course. You can imagine that quite thoughtful and interesting people gather to study soul-based astrology. And in addition to having recorded lectures for this course. There are live calls, which will be an opportunity to ask questions and connect. And at the end of the course, we will culminate our studies by reading each other's charts, whoever would like to volunteer their chart. And this is an opportunity to understand your life story and where you're at from the perspective of astrology. I absolutely can't wait to begin this course. If you have any questions about it, feel free to email me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com. I'm happy to discuss with you your questions, your learning goals, your reservations, whatever it is that you feel you need to discuss before knowing if this course is right for you. I'm here to talk with you. Let's make 2020 a year of deepened self-knowing through astrology, standing in our power, cultivating a deeper intimacy with ourself and with life and the heavenly spheres through astrology. It's really going to be an amazing experience and I can't wait to share it with you. And with that, let's get into our episode for today, part two of the conversation that I had with Becca Tarnas about the planetary combinations of Mercury. Mercury Uranus, I've started referring to as the hummingbird mind, where just in the way that a hummingbird flits from flower to flower, a the mind, when inflected by Mercury Uranus, can flit from idea to idea. Or, you know, following the trail of bibliomancy, where you open a book and look for the synchronicity within it, the page you happen to land upon and the unexpected surprise of what is housed in that book. And then you move on to the next book and find something there. It's like 
this very quick, accelerated, ever-changing mental capacity that can do these kind of shape-shifting, to use a a phrase you used earlier, like shape-shifting or acrobatic contortions to, let's try this, let's try that. I think of neologisms, for example, making up one's own new words and that inventive capacity of your honest to, to bring something new and different forward. Or if it's not inventing new words, maybe it's using words in new ways or creating new phrases um, and pushing the edge of what is possible to do with language. That's so cool. Hummingbirds are so like they're vibrating at such a high speed too. And they they hover. Like I feel like there's this connection with Uranus of like what's alien or it's a higher octave of Mercury, it's said too. Um, but I was just thinking of kind of like UFO or spacecraft or that like hovering energy, but also the erratic quality of Uranus moving from place to place in a seemingly non-linear or non-connected way, but almost like a decentralized network kind of way. Which totally fits, say, communicating through the internet or technology. Mm. You're honest as it relates to technological innovation as new ways to move mercury around, to spread words that every time we get an email in some ways or a text message or go to a website, it's a Mercury Uranus experience because we are encountering words or information or language through a technological medium. And it comes instantly, quickly, and in this, you know, lightning quick, powered by electricity sort of way. Wow. Yeah. And there's the kind of the hive mind or the collective consciousness element to Uranus as well. And I think that um, something that um, I've really resonated with is thinking of the internet and um, texting technology and all of that as a kind of physical or mundane reflection of powers of consciousness that we have in a sense of, and Stan Groff, I think, has talked about this in the sense of how there's... um, TV channels moving through the air, but if you have a television set, it will pick up those channels. And so there's a way that information is just out there floating. And depending on how we are picking up and receiving the information, we can sense things that there was no particular transcript of in a physical sense. And I think of that with, um, like just yesterday, I was having a text conversation with someone And about like two hours had elapsed in between. And I just began to think of my friend and he texted me like an instant later. And it, I noticed like, oh yeah, I felt, you know, and I feel that a lot with texting, like the sense of feeling the person before the text appears. And that because of the physicality of texting, it kind of can confirm telepathy Definitely. It's the experiments that 
Rupert Sheldrake did, for example, you think of someone and then they call. Now we have it through text message as well. So it's either they call or you get the message. And the way in which I had this image actually when you were speaking of if that information is just kind of everywhere and we have the ability to, like Prometheus, capture it, capture it like fire from the heavens. You, you grasp onto an idea that comes in like, you know, the light bulb going off over your head, that symbolic image of the light suddenly turning on, I feel is very much connected to the Mercury Uranus experience where the mind quickens. And I mean that both in the sense of it quickens as in it accelerates, it moves more quickly. People who are born with Mercury Uranus tend to think, speak, read, teach, communicate very quickly. When we get it by transit, we can experience a quickening in that way or an acceleration. But I also mean it in the sense of quickening as a term for the early stages of pregnancy, like quickening of the womb, where something has, the seed has taken root or where the idea has been sparked. And that is a quickening of the creative womb. And it's this kind of sudden miracle of what starts it. But then there's that feeling of the quickening, both in terms of pace and in terms of some new idea growing into, into a new form. That's so cool. <laughs> I love that. And Prometheus is a really a Uranian figure too. And even um, things like uh, the information age or like free information, um, information being accessible, like feels um, Uranus having so much to do with freedom and Mercury, you know, even like a freeing or a liberating idea mm -hmm. and that light bulb in a sense too. Um, but having some kind of cognition that opens up new doors and makes something radically possible that wasn't before the idea came to us. It's both free information and stealing information it can be either, I think, in some ways. Like that trickster element of Uranus mm. is there as much in, say, the software that's available for free or the hacker who is able to get in by unexpected or kind of trickster means and steal information and, and release it or free the information in that way. True. More sobering <laughs> of Mercury Uranus. Um, yeah, it's interesting too that the way that the word hacking has become so um, widespread in a lot of different contexts than what it originally was. Like there's biohacking, consciousness hacking, life hacking, and um, it's interesting, I remember speaking to a friend about it where he was thinking that consciousness hacking sounds kind of aggressive and that it appeals to people in a sense, but there's other ways of wording it that could be more beautiful, more Mercury Venus. Um, but yeah, it's a, there's many different connotations now of hacking, even though that has um, a somewhat violent origin, even in the word itself. 
Definitely. It, that kind of almost brings us back to our Mercury Mars part of the conversation of it's using this violent sounding metaphor or an invasion, which I think is where the term is originally coming from, invading into someone else's cyberspace. But when you say something like biohacking or consciousness hacking, it's, I'll admit it's not my favorite term either. <laughs> um, but it seems to indicate in some ways trying to skip the due process, which I think does come back to that Mercury Uranus idea of how can I trick my way out of this situation? I don't want to go by the Saturnian steps, the prescribed rules. I want to break out of those rules and skip ahead in the line, whether it's with my consciousness or in any other area that that's being applied. Totally. Yeah, there's something about Uranus, I feel as well, too, where it's like the iconoclast or it's the the person who is doing this new thing. And it's also the group movement that imitates that new thing. So it was like punk originally being punk until there were a bunch of people doing it. And the original quality of it being rebellious, you know, changed when it became a trend. Um, and that can happen, I think, with like consciousness hacking or like that phrase where it's taking ideas that may be very amazing in certain ways or life-changing and spreading them across a network so that they can become widely accessible or trendy, you know, for however that manifests. And that speaks to that Uranian quality that's always needing to push further out toward what's new, what's different, because it inevitably gets old and that is what kind of keeps pushing us into new paradigms new cycles of rebirth is that what was revelatory and awakening and liberating at one stage simply becomes stale or the mainstream or trendy simply through through time and acceptance, these Saturnian things again. So as soon as what's Uranian slides into the domain of Saturn, Uranus is out of there. <laughs> yeah. On to the next thing. And speaking of, what about Mercury Neptune? On to the next <laughs> thing. Mercury Neptune is so dreamy and stream of consciousness and I feel like Neptune dissolves all the boundaries around the mind and makes it permeable to the symbolic, to the esoteric, the archetypal, toward the spiritual, the sacred. I think of the dreamer or the channeler where information simply flows in like a stream or one thinks in images and there, I feel like there's often an orientation toward myth, toward story. Both Mercury-Jupiter and Mercury-Neptune have a particular relationship to story, storytelling. I think of someone like Joseph Campbell, who's born with both. It's Mercury-Jupiter-Neptune. The the storyteller who speaks in long Jupiterian sentences, but it's all about the Neptunian mythic symbolism and taking in the whole, unifying every 
myth and its particular expression into a monomyth, the hero's journey in his case. There's also something very poetic about Mercury-Neptune. I mean, there can be a kind of poetry for each one of these, but when I when I really think of the idea of poet, I think especially of Mercury-Venus and Mercury-Neptune. And then you have someone like John Keats, who's born with all of that together, Sun, Mercury, Venus, Neptune, and how language can just flow and have a kind of enchanting quality, casting a spell, as we were speaking about. So beautifully put. Yeah, there's a like dream interpretation comes to mind uh, for Mercury, Neptune, and with Neptune's dissolving quality, um, the mercurial being kind of magical or kind of hinting at something beyond what the words are, like the energy that is behind the words and that coming through in the expression mm. in otherworldly kind of quality. It can be certainly that kind of stream of consciousness way of speaking or writing or even something more specific like trance writing or automatic writing where something spiritual or esoteric is just simply flowing through one. It's almost bypassing the logical mind and is simply using the mind as a vessel for something beyond it. Do you think people um, struggle with Mercury Neptune mm. in the sense that, um, you know, typically when I'm working with someone who has something like that, some kind of Neptunian quality, especially if it's inflecting their mind, Mercury, there's a lot of social expectation in our particular culture to be kind of logical, basically, and to, to things can be verified as fact if they are things that we can sense with our you know, five senses. And I think that for someone with Mercury, Neptune, they may not necessarily be thinking in terms of, you know, spiritual concepts. Like I think it can be, you know, the muse or like artistry where there's something coming in from another realm. But I think just the kind of lack of acknowledgement sometimes that people, um, they don't grow up with or our culture doesn't have it. So they're getting information that they don't know where the information is coming from. Mm -hmm. And one might feel that their what's coming through their mind isn't valid, but it's such a huge part of their cognition to be in communication with an unseen realm of Neptune. I think that overall, our culture doesn't avow most expressions of Neptune. So... I absolutely want to affirm what you're speaking to there and also say moon Neptune can have a similar experience. Someone with moon Neptune who can feel what others are feeling without being told or having that kind of intuitive capacity when walking into a room and, and simply just absorbing that feeling. And in that same way, Mercury Neptune there is this profound sense of information coming from the beyond. And, and yet it can also be harder to hold on to the information. So in the same way as we can be in a profound dream and then we wake up, 
and it's gone. And it's just this feeling of where did it go? And I think sometimes that can happen with Mercury, Neptune and memory that the stream coming in from Neptune just washes over the details. And I've been experiencing a transit of Neptune crossing my Mercury the last couple years. It's a trine. And one of the ways I first started noticing the transit was it was a lot harder for me to hold on to dates, specific details of plans, very concrete things. And, but it opened me up to a much more imaginative way of being. I've noticed it's affected my voice in a lot of ways, or just being able to move through ideas in a flow as I'm speaking. But there's been a sacrifice with it too. This feeling that you brought up moon mercury and the relationship to memory. I had a memory like a steel trap and I feel like I don't anymore. Now I wonder on the other side of the transit, will that go back to the way it was? Or is this just a new way of being? But some things kind of get lost or sacrificed as that stream flows through one at the same time as kind of a symbolic eye can open up. But that isn't really affirmed, as you were saying, by this culture. And so this is a case where I think something like astrology can be really helpful in terms of affirming someone's way of being. It's really hard, I think, for a lot of people with Mercury-Neptune when, let's say, being given a really concrete academic assignment that you have to do it in a certain way and, uh, you know, stay within these confines of the the rules of writing. But with Mercury-Neptune, it's almost like you have to say everything before you can say anything because the whole world of potential is trying to come through what you're speaking. (laughs) And that can be paralyzing if there isn't a sense that there, that all of that can come through you and that you can somehow put all of that on paper before going into that Saturnian process of, of whittling it down. What you were saying, too, about Neptune washing over the details made me think about spiritual discernment as well and just kind of the faculty of discernment. And when you add Neptune in, there's a there's more information that is potentially confusing or numinous coming in to discern. And I think even the faculty of being able to um, have an image come through and just a moment throughout the day, like getting a vision and being able to discern potentially what that vision means Um, and the skill of that, because I think that early on in psychic opening processes, if someone is, you know, opening themselves up to the idea that they um, are an intuitive, that we can make um, judgments or um, conclusions is the word I was looking for about what something means. And then realize like, oh, that's not actually what it meant. And I feel like part of the skillful means of Mercury Neptune is discovering how to decipher and navigate and work with symbols and images, basically. Um, And that when that channel is open, and if one is regularly conversing with Neptune, 
one eventually learns uh, more and more spiritual discernment in that process. Absolutely. That speaking with symbols or thinking through symbols makes me think of Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials. Have you read that? No. It's a wonderful trilogy that is currently being released week by week as a now a show as a series and i i grew up with this series so seeing it made into the moving image is both trepidatious and wonderful and thus far i've really been um, enjoying the adaptation but the main character lyra she has a an object, a somewhat magical object called an alethiometer. And it tells the truth, the, the root of that word. It's like a measure of truth. And it has 36 symbols. And this might start to sound familiar to an astrologer. 36 symbols. And you ask it a question by moving the three hands, like on a clock, toward three symbols. You frame the question with three symbols. It's a lot like horrorary where you cast a chart for the question. And then when you ask the question, this alethiometer responds by moving the, the hands to the different symbols. And each symbol has a multivalence of meanings. We were speaking about archetypes before, associated with it. And this Girl Lyra has the ability to naturally read through intuition the alethiometer, whereas everybody else, whoever uses it, has to use books, huge books of reference to look up what the symbols could possibly mean, and they have to piece it together. But the way she describes it is she enters into a state where her mind goes blank. So very much like the Mercury-Neptune not being in a focused state, but being diffuse, kind of your mind being at one. And then as she's getting the the answer or the different hands are pointing to the different symbols, she describes it like going down ladders of meaning and each rung of the ladder has a different meaning for the same symbol. And I think this is very much what it's like to be an astrologer when you are presented with a combination like Mercury-Neptune. And what we're, we've been doing here is in some ways we just have two symbols, Mercury and Neptune, or any of these other pairs we've been talking about, but we're working our way down the ladders of meaning and seeing how they combine and coming up with, with answers for it. So I love this image of the alethiometer because it isn't astrological. And yet in this story, this girl's experience of reading it intuitively, no one really understands how she reads it, but she absolutely knows it's true. And that that very much can be the case when reading intuitively through uh, a divinatory art. That was a pure like Mercury Neptune <laughs> transmission. Thank you. Um, yeah. That's the word that you say um, you really love, exquisite. That was, yeah. Mm, thank you. Um, how about our last one, Mercury-Pluto? 
(laughs) Mercury Pluto is the mind that goes deep, probes into, ferrets out secrets, possesses secrets. It's like the detective, like Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle had Mercury Pluto that looking in an almost paranoid way for what has been hidden or oppressed or repressed and wanting to understand it, going into the the depths of knowledge and information and wisdom to find or gain power through that. It can be manipulation through language through communication it can be exposing in some ways too and bringing speaking truth to power for example i think of it as the the deeply probing inquisitive mind that is willing and almost voraciously drawn into the underworld as a means of deep understanding You don't often have a superficial conversation with a Mercury-Pluto person. It's like, let's go deep. Let's go down into the the muck and process things. And I find a lot of Mercury people will be drawn into wanting to discuss politics, for example. Really wanting to look at, you know, what's going on here? What's corrupt? Who's hiding what? And engaging at that often very kind of messy and controversial level. Totally. Um, Something when I I first was learning the archetypes, um, something that stuck with me about Gemini, um, which we can connect to Mercury, is having this capacity to just simply mimic or to observe the conversations that, that is happening and suggest like this other perspective. And with Mercury, Pluto, it feels like someone who can see the undercurrents of a situation and be like, pinpoint it and be like, hey, why haven't we talked about this? Mm -hmm. And then everyone kind of jumps to attention and they're like, yes, like we all, you know, we know what you're talking about. Perhaps it's the first time it's been put in language that succinct or that sharp to describe kind of a undercurrent of experience that people have been feeling. Um, that's if it's accurate, because sometimes Mercury Pluto can be um, a psychological projection or a paranoia um, with at times like slight truths in it, but a, um, a twist in a sense, taking it to a darker place than perhaps it actually is. It's as though, you know, by by looking for what's hidden or what's secret, you start to see see things in the shadows. That actually makes me curious about some distinctions which I can feel intuitively between Mercury-Neptune and Mercury-Pluto, but that I've always found interesting how close they can get, where Mercury-Neptune can be using language as an illusion or as, you know, being able... Both Mercury-Neptune and Mercury-Pluto can have a connection to the lie, but in really different ways. And I'm kind of bringing that forward as a, as a genuine question of the Mercury-Neptune is more like the, the mirage, the illusion, the delusion, 
the kind of hall of mirrors when, when speaking or bringing forward truth or untruth, whereas Mercury Pluto maybe feels more like a willful deception or a willful intentional hiding of information. And yet both can at times come through as, as an untruth or as a lie, whether it's an illusion or a, or a hidden truth or a buried truth or like the skeleton in the closet with Mercury Pluto. So I find that curious that there is this both similarity and yet I think we can probably both feel there's a, a huge archetypal difference between them too and maybe the experience of them as well. And yet both have this profound connection to the truth as well with Mercury Neptune as the whole of you know spiritual reality and truth in with a capital T in the platonic sense and then with the mercury pluto too a you know shining the light of truth on something that has been hidden or intentionally kept secret and kind of you know the the word of power for example or the power of the word to reverse it I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, they feel like different moods Mm -hmm. in a sense. And um, I consider Mercury having to do with deceit and non-deceit, like deceit and truth, like that access because it's information. But Mm -hmm. the, you know, and also the question of relativism with Mercury can get us into some like weird places. Um, But... I think that Mercury, Neptune, there's something about delusion and that the mirages. And so often I find, or maybe this is something I just choose to believe as well, but I feel like people who are like lying are also lying to themselves. And when we lie, we're lying to ourselves. I feel like the the motive to lie is always kind of co-opted by something and with mercury pluto it feels more like a a psychological compulsion of you know needing some kind of need to be met or needing control and twisting the information according to that um so it feels like if like more nefarious in that sense but mercury neptune feels kind of like when it's there's lies it feels more like delusion and it also feels like um some of the negative qualities of advertising and this quality of creating, um, like probing into people's psychological needs and fears and pain points, and then creating like a kind of Neptunian solution. Like, so they almost can work together in that way. And I find it interesting because even from studying things from like a business perspective, um, I don't think that selling things and Mercury is connected to the merchant is inherently wrong. Um, And I think that selling things in a a good way or in the business world, you could call it selling from a place of power. Um, Like that's an art form or a language or a capacity in a sense. And I feel like we're bombarded with a lot of images in culture of just these beauty standards, for example, that are uh, fake, that they've literally been edited on computers to show an image that's not real. 
and then they're selling a product promising that result in a sense, or at least hinting at it, that there's this way that information can have, can be co-opted by these kind of larger forces that are strangely unconscious as well. Mm. Like even, you know, or systemic, like it's not even just individual people choosing to be evil per se, but that the system or like the way that things are in place in a systemic way evoke that kind of like baser expression. Hmm. That's a really great point. And brings brings the Mercury Neptune and the Mercury Pluto together in a really profound way. Kind of bridging them. A lot of us are born with Neptune and Pluto in aspect, <laughs> so it's hard to separate them. It is um, Friday the 13th, which is just a fun, fun detail, but we were just talking about Mercury-Pluto, and I feel like Friday the 13th has a kind of Mercury-Pluto energy to it. Um, this has been amazing. I love talking with you about the archetypes and just kind of going on a river of images. Um, your work is really incredible. You're a very talented astrologer. So I would love to hear uh, for the audience, like how people can find you, work with you, read your work. Mm. Oh, it's been such a joy getting to have this conversation with you. And it really does feel like a journey. I remember feeling that last time we spoke to, of, as you put it, it's like opening up into a world and a place of timelessness in some ways and where clock time starts to become less and less relevant, especially as we make our way to these transpersonal archetypes and discussing Saturn and Uranus and then Neptune and Pluto and where that takes us. So my work can be found at most of it at my website, which is simply my name. It's beccatarnas.com. And you can find videos and other podcasts and a lot of writing. My publications are listed there. The events that I do are all listed there. And if you are interested in the astrological counseling side of what I do, there's a link there that takes you to a separate website that is focused on that. And I do have a book that came out not too long ago. It's called Journey to the Imaginal Realm speaking of journeys and images. Um, and it's a reader's guide to the Lord of the Rings and is meant to be paired with or read alongside the Lord of the Rings. So a lot of the, what we were talking about with the Mercury Saturn, for example, what has come out of how I've contemplated Tolkien's work and his Mercury Saturn and his relationship to, to language and, yeah, he has such a unique relationship to what language can do and be. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, said of Tolkien, he had been inside language. And I think that's such an amazing mercurial statement. What does it mean to be inside language and to see through its lens? So that's where my work can be found and a little taste of what I do. That sounds amazing. I would love to read The Lord of the Rings through your perspective. What a cool thing that you've created. It has thoughts from 
Oh, about the last two decades now. And <laughs> it's a slim book, I promise. I know that doesn't sound like it, but just things that I felt were important to focus on and different scholarship that I learned when doing my PhD and really meant to guide both the veteran journeyer through Middle Earth and also maybe especially the new reader to show you how to enter into that realm in a way that feels really fruitful and enchanting and encompassing. It's awesome. Well, I'm glad that we could celebrate um, Mercury conjunct your son in this way. Um, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and you're always welcome on the show. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Sabrina. It's an honor to be here. So enjoy talking with Becca about astrology and just enjoy how articulate she is and how exquisite I always think of her um, when I hear or say the word exquisite now, because I know it's one of her favorite words, um, but how really, truly exquisite her use of language is. So I hope that you gained some meditations about yourself through, you know, what you have an aspect in your chart with Mercury, um, and perhaps some insight about transits that you may have involving Mercury. If you've been listening to this show and enjoying it, I would love to hear and read your review on iTunes or Apple podcasts. If you leave a review and take a screenshot before you click submit and email that image over to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com. I will take down your email. I'm working on a free gift and I will send it to you when it's ready to thank you for reviewing the podcast. Do remember to go to monarchastrology.com, sign up for the mailing list. It will either be a pop-up or if you click on any of the blog posts, there's usually a link inside to sign up for the mailing list that will get you the weekly forecast sent to your inbox every week. Click the tab that says study to learn more about the upcoming intensive. This is going to be a profoundly transformative experience. If you have any questions, remember to email me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com and I'll get back to you. And don't wait for the last minute to sign up. I see you. I know <laughs> I do that too. And most of my enrollments, most of my signups come on like the last few days and that's fine. You can still sign up. The deadline is the 24th, but if you sign up earlier, you're throwing an anchor into your future. Um, when we make plans, we actually change the present moment. It's a really interesting kind of quantum thing that we can do. But if you have questions about the course, you know, reach out now. Things are going to get very busy those last few days. And I would love to support you in your process um, and speak to you about your learning goals and see if this course is right for you. All right. I hope you all had a beautiful new year, beautiful holiday. I know I did. I've been really resting and enjoying and just being and 
feeling like I'm receiving a lot of upgrades and downloads and some very, very deep rest. So I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you for listening to the podcast and I will be back soon. Much love and have a blessed week. Thank you.